Well, right now, church is taking place in some very unexpected places. And now I know earlier I asked you where you're watching from, like Henry County, McDonough, Locust Grove, what city. But now I'm actually curious where in your house or I don't know, where are you watching from? Is it on a back deck? Is it in the bathroom? That's okay, no judgment. Is it in your living room? Maybe you're still in bed and you got your, your dog next to you. Uh, maybe you're with your mom today. Where are you watching from today? Because in the season, we're worshiping in some unexpected places. I'm actually preaching in some unexpected places. And in the midst of everything going on, I've been thinking about the times I've experienced church in some unexpected places. And one of those that was perhaps uh, the most unexpected, the most odd for me, was experiencing church on the property of Phillips State Prison. You see, uh, a few years ago, every Monday night, my friend David Watkins and I, we would, we would pull up to a gravel parking lot. We would empty our pockets with everything except for our ID. And we would walk to a huge fence and we would press a little buzzer button. We'd press the button, then we'd wait. And on the good days, they would ask who we were. We'd let them know we were with the church here to lead Bible study, and they would buzz us in. So then we'd go in, we'd go to the guard station, then the guard station would put us through a metal detector. They would check our ID to a name on the list. And then finally, they would let us go back to the laundry room where there were about 15 washers and dryers making a ton of noise. Now, this wasn't like ambient noise like the birds right now. I mean, this is just full-on laundromat noise, people doing laundry. And there we sat at a table with about five other guys each week doing Bible study. And during those sessions, we'd laugh. We'd pray, we'd open up the scriptures, sometimes we'd cry with one another. And there were very memorable places where we experienced church. But like I said, that was on the good days. On, on the bad days, what would happen is we would come to the gravel parking lot, we would go up to the fence, and we would press the call button, and then we would wait. Sometimes we'd wait five or ten minutes, we'd keep pressing the button, and then finally they'd let us through. And then sometimes they'd let us through and we'd go up and we'd finally get to the guard station. And then the guard station would say, uh, actually, we got a new list. You got to re-register. Sorry, come back next week. Or other times we'd get up to the fence and we'd keep pressing the button and nobody would answer or they'd just say, not today. And whenever that happened, whenever we tried to do church there and lead Bible study with these men who are desperately craving it, it was always very, very frustrating. But perhaps one of the things that's, that's more frustrating for me as a pastor since that time is the reality that many people have told me as a pastor that their experience of coming to a local church is much like our experience of going to that prison. See, many people have told me over the years that their experience of coming to a local church as they were making a step towards Jesus, a step towards the church, a step towards faith, is that they were really met with, with, with fences and with guards looking seemingly to them to keep them out. And now that might seem like a bit of an exaggeration to you, but if you've ever experienced it, you know exactly what I'm talking about. I mean, maybe you've tried to come to a church. Maybe it was our church. Maybe it was uh, a different church, and you were met with questions. You were met with concerns about you not wearing the right thing or maybe not having the right hair color. I mean, perhaps you as a single mother, you, you've come to church and then when you, when you get in, somebody's there asking where your husband is if he's coming behind you. 
Other times uh, I've heard from people of color that they've come to church and they've been met with caution, with fear, and sometimes with, with simply outright racism because of the color of their skin. I mean, think about it. Nowadays, many people of color aren't comfortable running in a white neighborhood, and they're also not comfortable just stepping into a white church because of things that have happened to them in their past and things that are happening in the present. A lot of times, when people come to church, they feel like there are fences there are guards and, and, and there are people seemingly trying to keep them out even while we always try to be friendly. And now oftentimes these fences, they're, they're not something that we try to erect intentionally. A lot of times they're not even visible fences. Most of the time I think they're actually invisible. I mean, if I think about ways I've put up fences over the years, sometimes it's by the words I use, using big words and church words and assuming that everybody knows what to say and what to do right at the right moment in the service. I mean, other times, uh, you know what, people come to church and then they go to try to find a seat and guess what? Somebody set up a little fence around the seat and they say, actually, that's my seat. You can't sit here anymore. Sometimes we unintentionally or intentionally build fences and it makes people feel unwelcome when they come to church. And my guess is if you actually went to your friends and your family and who, who don't attend church and just said, hey, you know what, why don't you attend church, you know? It's Mother's Day, we always invite you, you never come, you know, you grew up in church, what's the deal? Now my guess is that most of them wouldn't say, hey, you know what, I hate God, I don't like Jesus, I don't like that guy, or you know what, the Holy Spirit, that stuff's just too weird for me. My guess is most people actually wouldn't say anything like that. I think instead most people would say, well, the reason I don't come to the church is because I've had experience with the church and with church people. The church has struggled since its very beginning with welcoming people who weren't yet part of the church into the church. The, the church has struggled with, with figuring out, okay, who's in and who's out? What, what do you need to do and to believe to be a Christian? And what do you not need to do and not need to believe in order to be a Christian? I mean, this is something that's happened not just the last 50 or 100 years. It hasn't just happened in your experience. It's happened since the very beginning of the church. When we look in the book of Acts, we find that one of the earliest debates in the church was over who's in and who's out? Who can be saved and be part of the church and who can't be? And now the book of Acts, I mean, they came to an answer to these questions and I think we oftentimes forget their answer and we, we struggle to live it out today. That's why I want to revisit the debate and the decision that they made with you this morning. And all of this really takes place in Acts chapters 10 through 15. And this debate, it really arises because of two competing realities. And the first reality is that pretty much all of the early Christians were Jewish Christians. And think about it, Jesus was Jewish, his disciples were Jewish on the day of Pentecost in Jerusalem. It was Jewish people who were gathered when the Holy Spirit fell upon the early church. And so they viewed Christianity as simply an extension of Judaism. So they went to the synagogue, they went to the temple, they kept the law. People who were part of the early Christian community, I mean, they were circumcised. They had the covenant sign of Judaism. And so this is just how they viewed things. And they thought, well, 
what it means to be a Christian? Well, it also first means to be Jewish and then to believe that Jesus is the Messiah. So that was happening on the one hand. But then on the other hand, all of a sudden in Acts chapter 10, we find all these Gentiles being filled with the Holy Spirit and coming to faith in Jesus Christ. I mean, if you look in Acts chapter 10, I encourage you to read it later today. I mean, Peter has this wild vision that, where he basically concludes that God is telling him that Jews and Gentiles are to be part of the church. And so, so he preaches. He says, look, Jesus is Lord of all. Jesus healed all types of people in need. And Jesus has the ability to forgive all who believe in him. All their sins will be forgiven. And then, after he preaches this sermon, the Holy Spirit fell upon all the people who were there. And so Peter's like, well, Gentiles can be Christians too without first becoming Jewish. I've seen it with my own eyes. God is confirming this with signs. But then the controversy came when word got back to some of the church leaders that this was happening. And these church leaders say, no, 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 no. Basically, they said, look, there's a fence here. You, you can't just come in the church without first being Jewish, without first being circumcised and, and being part of this community. And Peter and them were like, no, actually things are different now. God is doing something new. And so they began to have this debate. Who's in? Who's out? Who can be saved? Who can't be saved? And they solved it with, you may have guessed it, one of the very first church business meetings. And now you may have been to some church business meetings that are, that are pretty boring, uh, but this is actually a very important one. And so that's the scripture passage we're going to dive in deeper this morning together on, Acts chapter 15. And so if you have your Bibles, I invite you to, to read with me Acts chapter 15, beginning in verse 1. We find this, Certain people came down from Judea to Antioch and were teaching the believers, unless... You are circumcised according to the custom taught by Moses. You cannot be saved. Well, this brought Paul and Barnabas into sharp dispute and debate with them. And so Paul and Barnabas were appointed along with some other believers to go up to Jerusalem to see the apostles and the elders about this question. And the church sent them on their way. And as they traveled through Phoenicia and Samaria, they told how the Gentiles had been converted. And this news made all the believers very glad. And when they came to Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church and the apostles and elders to whom they reported everything God had done through them. And what we're going to find they reported is that these miracles have been happening. The Gentiles are being filled with the Holy Spirit. They're going to report back that God is doing something new. So in verse 5, we find this. Then some of the believers who belong to the party of the Pharisees, I mean, they stood up and they said, no, 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 the Gentiles must be circumcised and they must be required to keep the law of Moses. And now there's over 600 laws in the law of Moses. I mean, this is a pretty high fence here. So the apostles and the elders met together to consider this question. And after much discussion, Peter got up and addressed them, brothers, you know that some time ago God made a choice among you that the Gentiles might hear from my lips the message of the gospel and believe. God, who knows the heart, showed that he accepted them by giving the Holy Spirit to them just as he did to us. 
He didn't discriminate between us and them, for he purified their hearts by faith. Now then, why do you try to test God by putting on the necks of Gentiles a yoke that neither we nor our ancestors have been able to bear? No, we believe it is through the grace of our Lord Jesus that we are saved just as they are. And so he says, look, 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 it's not anything we've done or we're doing that saves us. It's by grace that we've been saved through faith. I mean, he's saying, look, it's not what we've done. It's what Jesus has done on our behalf. So why should we keep them from being part of the church and make them keep the law? So after he said this, verse 12, the whole assembly became silent as they listened to Barnabas and Paul telling about the signs and wonders God had done among the Gentiles through them. And then when they finished, James spoke up. And here when James speaks up, he begins to reflect on Scripture because when you're making important decisions in the church, Scripture is the foundation upon, upon the reflection you must do. So he reflects upon Scripture, the experience of everything that's going on here, what's been going on in the early church, and he finds upon further reflection that actually the Gentiles are to be included. And so he summarizes his thoughts in verse 19. And he says this, he says, It is my judgment, therefore, we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. If you have a Bible, I want you to, I want you to circle that phrase. I want you to underline that phrase. It is my judgment, we shouldn't make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. I want you to circle that because this is a key turning point in the book of Acts. I mean, after this, things begin to change. Their mission expands not just to Jews, but also to Gentiles. They begin going out with the same passion. And it's at this point that the church decides, look, these people want to know Jesus. These people want to repent. They want forgiveness for their sins. They want to make Him Lord of their life. They're desiring the Holy Spirit. Why should we create fences to keep them out? Why should we try to push them away when God is doing something new and God wants them to be included? No, instead of building fences, we should make it easy for them to come to faith in Jesus Christ. And so they decide, as the early church, and I think this is a very responsible thing to do, they say, look, we need to write a letter to the Gentiles. We need to apologize to them for the way some people in our community have acted and built up these fences. And so they say, look, let's write this letter. And in verse 20, we find that in the letter that they include this as well, that we should write to them, the Gentiles, telling them also to abstain from food polluted by idols, from sexual immorality, from the meat of strangled animals, and from blood. For the law of Moses has been preached in every city from the earliest times and is read in the synagogues on every Sabbath. Now you might be thinking, well, that, that seems to be adding a bunch of stuff to what's going on. But, but what's happening here is James and the church are saying, look, if we're going to live as a community, if all of us are going to live together, Jews and Gentiles, then we're actually all going to have to give some things up. Actually, as a Jewish community, we're going to have to give up some, some discrimination and, and some prejudices that we've had against our Gentile brothers and sisters. 
And then the, the Gentiles, they're saying to them, look, look, if you're going to be part uh, of our community and have table fellowship with fellow Jews, like you, you, can't, you can't be doing all these things like eating food that's been sacrificed to idols. You have to be willing to give up some of these things so that we can live peacefully together. Look, we're going to have to submit to one another in love on these issues that aren't surrounding the core of salvation. And so in the early church, they began doing that. They began living together. They began loving together. They began reaching out together to people far and wide, to Jews, to Gentiles, to all nations. And guess what happened as they did that? As they reached out in love, all types of people began coming to faith and coming to be a part of the church. There were young people, old people, men, women, uneducated, educated, rich, and poor, people from all different backgrounds came to be part of the church. And over time, as all these different people came to faith in Jesus Christ, you may can guess what happened. Over time, these different people began to build little fences of their own. They began adding beliefs and adding rituals and adding to the core central truth of Christianity that we are saved by grace through faith, not because of who we are and what we've done, but because of Jesus Christ, who He is and what He's done on our behalf. And this tendency in the, in the church to build fences, I think this happens because of, of our sinful human hearts and our desire, our sinful desire to exclude instead of include and embrace other people. And so how then do we as the church not build fences? Well, I think the answer is to actively build something else instead. I think the answer and the antidote to not building fences is instead to build bridges. And if you think about bridges and fences, I mean, they actually have very different purposes. I mean, fences, their purpose is to keep things out or to keep things in, to demarcate boundaries, to protect, to enclose something. But a bridge, well, a bridge is very different. A bridge is created to help someone move or something move from one side to another to overcome an obstacle in the way. And Jesus Christ calls us to be bridge builders. In Acts chapter 1 verse 8, he says, look, I want you to be witnesses here, near, and far. I want you to be my witnesses to everybody. I want you to go build bridges so that people can move from life on their own to life in Christ. And so in the church, I think building bridges, it means a few things. I think first, it means identifying obstacles that are in the way of people moving from one way of life to another way of life and trying to remove those obstacles to, to try and make it as easy as possible for people to turn to God. I think it also means meeting people where they are, not just waiting on them to come to us, but it means us actively going to them and building loving relationships with them right where they are. And then over time, in the midst of those loving relationships, I think it means inviting them to experience new life in Christ. And I've seen churches do this in amazing ways. I was a part of a church one time 
that, that did this when, when in the community that was changing rapidly with demographically and racially, they said, you know what, hey, look, we have a huge Hispanic population moving into our community, but we don't really have any Hispanic people in our church, and, and we want to build a bridge. And so they actually began going to those communities and getting to know people, developing friendships and saying, hey, what are your needs? How can we help you? And over time, they actually invited them to church and they said, look, we know, we know for some of you transportation is difficult, so we'll actually come and we'll pick you up and bring you to the church ourselves. And then they began providing Sunday school in Spanish, activities for the children and for the students. And over time, a bridge was built and people were able to cross it and come to faith in Jesus Christ. But then something interesting happened at that same church. At that same church, there were all these skateboarders who used to congregate in the parking lot. And now, if you know anything about churches, churches want young people. They love young people. They'll do whatever it takes to reach young people. So all these young people are there just hanging out, skateboarding, grinding on the rails and everything. Every day, day after day, I remember seeing them. And then one day, I stopped seeing them. I began to wonder why. And so I pulled over to the side of the church, and I came upon a huge sign and the sign said, no skating, private property. And guess what? Those skateboarders never came back. They were met with a fence and they respected the fence. So this morning, the question I want to leave you this with is this. What are you building? Are you building fences? Are you building bridges? And how, perhaps, could you build a bridge today? Let's pray. Almighty God, we thank you that your love and your kingdom is for all people. We thank you that you sent your son Jesus to die for all of us. He has forgiven all of our sins and he wants all to come to know him and to be saved. And so God, we thank you for that gift of salvation. And we pray that you would help us share that gift with everybody. People who don't look like us, people who don't act like us, people who don't believe like us. God, help us to be bridge builders so that all the world might know your great love. We ask all these things in the name of your Son, Jesus. Amen.